Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening, children of the night. Come on into the cabin. Uh, let me turn off the TV. I was just catching up on Outcast. Did I mention that show? Uh, didn't I? We're a short fiction podcast, but I do like to remark on the other mediums that we can't showcase through this medium. Decent horror films seem to be in short supply, while I feel like in the 1990s I couldn't go to the theater without some scary movie being out. And that's not claiming that any of them were particularly good, and maybe that was remembering that decade with gore-colored glasses. But recently, television has been coming through for us, and I think that Outcast is one of the better shows that's on. Well-produced, solid acting, the plot is mysterious, and sometimes really strange things happen. I don't think it's paving new ground in the genre, but it's hard to find something truly new under the sun. If you haven't checked it out, give it a peek. Let's hear from some of our authors. Our first story comes to us from Shane J. Cummings. Shane Uriah Cummings has been acknowledged as one of Australia's leading voices in dark fantasy. He has authored ten books, including Shards and the four volumes of the Apocrypha sequence, edited several anthologies and magazines, including the best-selling anthology Rage Against the Night, and he has had more than 100 short stories published in Australia, North America, Europe, and Asia. Shane has won two Dittmar Awards and has been nominated for more than 20 other major awards, including Spain's Premios Ignotus. Shane is an active member of the Horror Writers Association. His website is www.duraya.com.au. Link will be in the show notes. And now we will hear Shane J. Cummings' Memoirs of a Teenage Antichrist. January 28th. Crows gather at my window, especially at night. It's a full moon tonight. Thirteen crows are there, staring in at me from the tree. 
One of them scratches and pecks at the glass. The rest core amongst themselves. Sometimes, just sometimes, I think I know what they're saying. February 14th. I've started having nightmares. Not your usual naked-at-school dreams. These are so vivid, I can practically hear the screams and smell the burning flesh when I wake. April 2nd. Aunt Lucia believes I'll be ushering in the apocalypse in exactly 66 days. She told me so at dinner this evening. At first, I thought it was some belated April Fool's gag, but no, she was deadly serious. She doesn't have a sense of humour. However, she did have a whole bunch of mouldy old scrolls and prophecies and mystical doodads to prove her point. Word for word, she said, ushering in the apocalypse. That's too much shit for a 16-year-old to take. A thousand years of hell on earth, for Christ's sakes. That's what she said. A thousand freaking years. April 3rd. I lied. I'm not 16. Not yet, anyway. It'll be my birthday soon, June 6th. I've been told all I'm getting is my birthright. Fire and brimstone and the sum total of human sin. Nothing special. All I want is to get laid. Is that too much to ask? April 5th. I called the crow at my window, Abigail. The name just fits, somehow. She visits every night now. Her twelve brothers and sisters lurk in the tree, cawing at each other. Abigail sang me to sleep last night. For the first time in a long time, the nightmare didn't return. April 6th. Aunt Lucia caught me praying in my bedroom tonight. She flogged me, the old witch. Flogged me till I bled and couldn't sit down properly. She was scowling while she did it, but it looked like grinning to me, like she took pleasure in it. Then she lectured me for an hour about my place in the scheme of things. If there's going to be a thousand years of hell on earth, I've got a nice little lake of fire in mind with her name on it. April 9th. I'm seeing things that aren't there. Black things, shadows, wandering the halls at school, moving between the crowds. Sometimes they pass through people, and when they do, that person faints or dry wretches. I thought I saw these things when I was younger, but it's happening all the time now. It doesn't freak me out as much as it probably should. I hear things, too, like people's inner thoughts, their soul murmurings, Abigail told me. I hear other sounds too, but the less said about them, the better. April 12th. I still pray, usually in the dead of night, when Lucia should be deep in her hag sleep. Abigail watches over me, but I'm not sure about the other crows. If they hear me, and they must because their ears are damn sharp, then Lucia comes barging in to check up on me. Never in time to catch me, but often enough to keep me on my toes. April 13th. People bruise when I touch them, skin on skin. Aunt Lucia and the nannies wear gloves and long sleeves. I remind myself of this because Brendan Amory, the new kid at school, grabbed me. He must have been trying to score points with the popular crowd by beating up on the weird kid. The moment he grabbed my arm, he recoiled as if he'd been bitten by a snake. The bruise sprouted from right beneath his fingers 
and leached out to the back of his hand. He spat at me and said a few things I won't repeat, but I've memorised for later use, which made me do a stupid thing. I pushed him by the face. He tumbled backwards, holding his face and screaming. I won't ever forget his puffy purple cheek bloating under his puffy purple fingers, and especially the way his eye drooped because of it. And the screaming. There's always the screaming. I guess that's something extra to add to the nightmares. April 14th. If I'm supposed to be this big bad antichrist guy, then why can't I speak to God or the devil? God must be too aloof to chat, too cool for school to chat to his opposite numbers brat. Dad. Well, I never had a dad, but he's flying under the radar too. I've never had a father figure, unless you count that sleazy old Brit who keeps sniffing around Aunt Lucia. If Satan is evil incarnate, I guess being a deadbeat dad is something he has to do. It's part of his nature, right? Anyway, it's Good Friday today. Nothing much good about it in my book. I've been sick all day. Speaking of books, I wonder if people will write a Bible about me. It would be a pretty thin book. April 16th. Easter was a massive disappointment. I had to steal my only Easter egg. School organised a Sunday church service, but I weaseled out of it. It's like they're trying to overcompensate for something. My palms bled, just a little bit, at lunchtime. Lucia saw me wiping my hands on a napkin at lunch and smiled that tight, smug smile of hers. April 20th. I read the book of Revelations tonight. I had to sneak the Bible in from school and hide it from Aunt Lucia. She stared at me like I'd been wicked when I came home, but she didn't say anything. Abigail sat on the windowsill and watched me read, and what a load of shit it was. Revelations, my ass. Dragons. Lakes of fire. False prophets. Plagues. That stuff is so last millennia. If I have my way, my apocalypse will be like all the horror movies come to life. Zombies. Vampires. Scratch that. Vampires are pussies and can't hang in my apocalypse. And that guy with the hockey mask from Friday the 13th. I threw the stupid book into the waste paper basket in my room. It caught fire the moment it left my hand. I scorched one of my pillows putting that damn fire out. Despite the smoke, Lucia didn't charge in. She never even mentioned it at dinner. I think all those robed loonies she calls friends are distracting her. April 29th. God's still not answering me. I stopped trying to talk to the other guy, my dad, a while ago. May 3rd. I don't want to be the Antichrist. Not after what Lucia and her friends told me. Bunch of robed freaks. I threw up and couldn't seem to stop. I think I fell asleep on the bathroom floor, but I woke on the bed. I don't remember being carried. Abigail was there on my window as always. She sang me back to sleep. May 7th. With all Lucia's talk of new world orders and smiting and punishing the do-gooders, I feel like a pawn in someone else's chess game. If I ever have a say in these things, here's a note to self. Robes are uncool. Seriously. May 12th. Christianity is shitting me. They tried to spring it on us at school today, 
some lunchtime prayer thing. The visiting reverend started praying, but I think he could tell I was annoyed. In fact, he couldn't help but keep eyeing me off suspiciously. Beady little eyes he had, like coals. He ran screaming from the room shortly thereafter, clawing at those coal-like eyes. I think I saw smoke between his fingers. Seems appropriate, doesn't it? Abigail was there, looking in, watching out for me. We were all allowed to go home early. God really is forgiving. May 17th. It's not just the crows that hang around me like a bad smell. A pair of big black dogs, Dobermans, I think, are keeping tabs on me. When I first stumbled across them and they began growling, I thought they were going to tear my throat out. They charged at me and I just froze. The world stood still. I mean, really stood still. The drizzle shimmering in front of my nose suspended in the air. But the dogs didn't attack me. They ran past me and chased down a nearby guy in a robe. More goddamn robed freaks. A dagger clattered to the ground when this guy bolted. I don't know how it turned out for the dude who dropped the dagger, but the dogs padded back to me with blood on their muzzles. They kind of looked content. If I'm supposed to be this antichrist guy, I want some danger money. Or at least some fringe benefits, you know, like getting laid. I think God's having a good chuckle to himself, herself, itself. May 18th. God must be a woman a lot like Aunt Lucia. A man couldn't have come up with such a convoluted scheme to screw my life over. Well, not any man I've ever met. At least I didn't see any robed freaks today. There were the dogs, of course, and the crows. Always the crows. May 22nd. I don't know whether I'm supposed to be an Antichrist or the Antichrist. Seems like a lot of work for just one person. May 24th. There's so much sin in the world. Wicked thoughts. Murderers. Rapists. Thieves. So much hate. I can feel it welling up, soaking into me so much I have to put my hands over my ears to shut the world out. People are seriously screwed up. My birthday is in a couple of weeks. I just want to get laid. May 26th. I call the dogs Max and Rex. They let me pat them now. Lucia even allows them to sleep outside my door. I guess things aren't so bad. May 27th. Every time I walk past a piece of glass, whether it's a mirror or a window, it shatters. Always inwards too, like I'm some cosmic glass magnet. After the third or fourth time this happened, I stopped to count the pieces while waiting for an adult to come and tell me off. 666 shards exactly. Coincidence? I think not. I wonder if this shit happened to Jesus. May 28th. I thought about killing myself tonight. I cradled the pills for what seemed like hours. Abigail was watching me the whole time, her yellow eyes boring through me. And the dogs. They wouldn't stop growling the whole time. It made it hard to focus any kind of resolve. Does the world really need an antichrist? It's doing a fine enough job killing itself without some supernatural power twisting the knife. I couldn't do it. The pill thing, I mean. Not with Abigail watching. 
not with Max and Rex carrying on. As I was taking the pills back to the bathroom, Lucia caught me with them and gave me one hell of a thrashing. I think she drew blood. I can look forward to another night lying on my stomach inside. Bitch. Definitely a lake of fire for her. Or something with maggots. Everyone hates maggots. May 29th. A girl was waiting in my room when I came home from school today. Sexy looking private school type. Long dark hair. She said her name was Abigail and that she was my half-sister. We talked all night and Aunt Lucia didn't budge in on me once. Hooray for small mercies. June 1st. Abigail, the girl, not the bird, visited again tonight. She was waiting for me after dinner, perched on the windowsill. The window was permanently open because of the glass thing. We talked for a bit, but then, oh my God, should I say oh my God? The things we did. Tonight has been the best night of my life. She didn't even bruise when we touched. I don't care if she's a bird or my sister or whatever. She's mine. June 4th. The way she moves is like magic. The starlight shimmers in her hair. We walked the gardens tonight and the crows circled above. I thought it was a bit creepy at first, but it was kind of romantic. If the world is going to hell, at least I'll have her here with me. June 5th, 6.06pm. It's my birthday at midnight. The end of days. The big A. I'm not a bad person. I don't want to be. But the world is a sick place. It's in my blood like a disease. It needs to be cleansed. I need to be cleansed. I feel like I'm dying. If I'm a deadbeat like my dad, remember it's in my nature. I hope the world forgives me. What will be left of it anyway? It's all predestined, right? It has to go down this way. I'm not a monster, but if I turn into one, I'll always remember the few good things about life. I hope people remember the good things about me. June 5th, 11.53pm. This will probably be my last entry for a while. Abigail is waiting downstairs with Max and Rex. Lucy is there too, with a whole bunch of those robed loonies. Maybe I can use them to practice on. The thought's only crossed my mind a million times since all this shit was laid on me. Finally, I think there might be some justice in the world. If there's work to be done, then I guess I'll have to step up to the plate, right? I figure the first wave will be the horror movie monsters. Freddy, Jason, Pinhead, the dude from Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface... They'll spread the message, good and proper. Then comes the zombies, not those whack-job sprinting ones, but the shambling kind. Then there's the maggots. Maybe zombies with maggots for eyes. Everyone hates maggots. Midnight approaches. I can feel it. The crows are gathering. 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That was Shane J. Cummings' Memoirs of a Teenage Antichrist, as read by Dan Raybarts. Dan is a writer of fantasy novels and speculative fiction, sometimes narrator of podcasts, including stories for the Hugo Award-winning Starship Sofa, occasional sailor of sailing things, and father of two wee miracles, in a little house on a hill under the southern sun. In 2014, he received the Sir Julius Vogel Award for the Best New Talent, Baby Teeth, Bite-Sized Tales of Terror, the horror anthology he co-edited with Lee Murray, also won the SJV for Best Collected Work and the Australian Shadows Award for Best Edited Work. His short stories have appeared in venues such as Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Aureolus Magazine, Andromeda Spaceways, InFlight Magazine, and on the Parsec Award-winning steampunk podcast, Tales from the Archives, among many others. I'm glad to be hearing from Dan again. We haven't for a while, and we used to just work him like a dog. Thanks as always, Dan. Our second story for the night comes from John Everson. He's no stranger to these parts, and we'll also be hearing from him next week as well. But a bit about John. John Everson is the author of more than 100 published short stories and several novels of horror and dark fantasy. His first novel, Covenant, won the Bram Stoker Award for a first novel in 2005. His second novel, Nightwear, was a Bram Stoker finalist in 2013. Over the past decade, he has published eight novels, Covenant, Sacrifice, The Thirteenth, Siren, The Pumpkin Man, Nightwear, Violet Eyes, and The Family Tree. His first five novels were issued in mass market and trade paperback by Dorchester slash Leisure Books. Limited hardcover editions were also issued from Delirium Books, Necro Publications, and Bad Moon Books. In 2011, Amazon's 47 North imprint licensed his leisure catalog, and his most recent novels have been released through Samhain Publishing. Covenant, Sacrifice, Siren, and Nightware have been translated, or are in the process of being translated, and released in Poland, Turkey, France, and Germany. 
Over the past 20 years, John's short fiction has appeared in more than 50 magazines, including Space and Time, Dark Discoveries, and Gru, as well as in a couple dozen anthologies, mostly recently in Necrophiles, Two Decades of Extreme Horror, The Green Hornet Casebook, Kolchak, The Night Stalker Casebook, Best New Werewolf Tales, Volume 1, Best New Vampire Tales, Volume 1, Best New Zombie Tales, Volume 2, and Fell Beasts. His short stories have also been translated and published into Italian, Polish, and French. A wide selection of his short fiction has been collected in four short story collections. Sacrificing Virgins from Sanheim Publishing 2015, Needles and Sins from Necrobooks 2007, Vigilantes of Love, Twilight Tales 2003, and Cage of Bones and Other Deadly Obsessions from Delirium Books 2000. And now, let's listen to John Everson's Made for Each Other. A heart never empties in one night. It bleeds itself dry over a period of days and weeks and years. In a best case, the heart is connected to another, and as its blood drains away, it is replaced by transfusions from the other. They become a synchronous structure, both bleeding and refreshing the other unless one springs a leak. The true test of any structure, whether a heart or a house, is how it weathers not just summer storms, but winter's ice. Regardless of conditions, it shouldn't spring a leak. I'm a carpenter by trade, and I know these things. Let me tell you a story of hearts and houses. While a journeyman learning my craft, I purchased a small plot of land for the future. I lived in a small apartment and put away my earnings until I was ready to build. I was smart. I had a blueprint. I laid my own foundation, married each beam to each concrete piling. My level was honest and my hammer was true. My friends helped me on the weekends, and after a time I left my lease behind to live beneath the roof of my industry. I followed my plan, worked hard, and I knew where I was going. In fact, I got there. And then I met Regina. It was at an upscale bar downtown. The only electric lights beamed the room in blue and gold. White candles shadowed every table and corner in flickering mystery. A saxophone's tail slithered between the table legs, while a drum's tongue licked the mirrors behind the bar. The jazz was overpowering, intoxicating just like her. My friend said later it was love at first sight. I looked up at rap-tap-snap of her heels, clicking in time to the beat across the hardwood floor. She moved in exaggerated rhythm from a table near ours to cross my vision on her way to the bar. It wasn't the red boots, spitting candle teas back in my eyes, or the short black mini flapping provocatively close to the edge of where her derriere must round. It wasn't the way her flimsy white blouse cinched tight on her waist before ruffling out again, lazily, or the point of her red lacquered nails tapping in countertime to the bass drum on the black slate of the bar as she waited for the tender's attention. No, I was watching her face, captivated by a reflection in the mirror. She looked ahead of herself, unfocused, searching. I stared like a prisoner on first parole at the glinting blue of her eyes 
and the glassy promise of lips so full she might have been pouting, not playing with napkins while nodding to the sudden rise of the saxophone's sinuous neck. I could bore you with the painfully embarrassing details of my first approach that night. Both of us a little further into the bottle, the alcohol raising my courage while lowering her resistance. Both of our foundations tilted at a less than steady angle as I patted her shoulder while she batted her eyelids. From such foundations are relationships built. No wonder the rate of marital attrition only grows. You were made for each other, our friends said, gaping in awe as we danced our way from bar to promise bands to wedding. Each social event a new brick in the ever-growing masonry collection that was us. In actuality, we didn't have much in common. I was a tradesman. I made my living with my hands, every nail's bite a bond of solid truth. When I finished a job, there was something solid to show, something that couldn't lie about its core, regardless of the amount of paint slapped on its surface. Regina, on the other hand, thrived on ephemera and illusion. She worked in an advertising agency. She wrote copy that sold millions of people on products they didn't know they wanted or needed. She wasn't a real blonde. It was months before I realized that the luscious globes of her naked breasts were not her own, at least not completely. Nothing of her was what had appeared on the surface. Still, when she told me she loved me, I never questioned her. A house can be inspected, its joists tested for strength, its walls squared and leveled. A heart pumps away its love blindly hoping that the flow returns, and never knowing until it's too late if it does not. Regina's goal in life was to improve things, or at least to sell them as more than they were. When I undressed at night, she ran her hands over my chest, cool, needy, exciting. I shivered from the sensation, and despite my goosebumps, she told me I was perfect. That must have been very frustrating for her. When she moved into my house, she sighed and spun around the wide hardwood floors of my living room and put her hands on her head. It's perfect, she pronounced with a catch in her voice, just before hugging me. I didn't realize at first that this was not a good thing. Perfection never lasts, if it exists at all. Regina's last husband had not been perfect. Ned was a slacker, she said a biker in a leather jacket with a perpetual sneer and the tattoo of a naked woman on his arm. It was like she had to compete with his biceps, she told me. Of course, after the bike accident, he'd been missing most of what hung below the biceps, not to mention his eye. I'd started to wonder if that undressable imperfection had been the real reason for their marriage's disintegration. Not that he couldn't have had those issues addressed today, in the new age of body mod, Regardless of Ned's obvious shortcomings, I was coming to realize that Regina wasn't satisfied with anything for long, even perfection. I love your skin, so brown, so perfect, she whispered one night, trailing her fingers from my belly across the wiry hair of my chest. Her face shifted then, and she looked up at me bright-eyed. Let's get tattoos of each other's names, she said. Only if you get a dragon tattoo right here, I said, running the tip of my finger from the delta of her thigh to the dark pit of her belly button.
She rolled on top and snaked a tongue between my teeth. Wanton. Deal, she whispered, coming up for air. It'll be like showing the world that we belong to each other. I thought that was the point of this, I responded, holding up the gold wheat twine of my wedding ring. She snorted. That just says you're married, but not to me. I want something of me on you. Your brand, I said, and she raised an eyebrow, but didn't answer. One weekend, as I sipped my coffee, enjoying the quiet of early morning, she said, Let's add a sun porch off the kitchen. It'll shield us from the light in the morning at breakfast, and give us a protected porch in the afternoon. But the whole point of having an eastern breakfast nook is to have the sun in the kitchen at first light, I argued. But logic never counted for much in Regina's world. After all, in one of her most celebrated ad campaigns, she sold mortgages with billboards depicting lip-licking braless co-eds barely wearing business jackets. Loan applications at the sponsoring bank went up 57% during the first week of the campaign. I built a sun porch. The new sun porch threw off the planned balance of the house and strained the furnace, since I hadn't originally structured the ductwork to incorporate another long room. Our bedroom was cool in the winter and warm in the summer. Once it had been even-tempered. Paint the house white, she suggested, to reflect the sun better. I preferred its gentle blue and black accents, but still, I did, and found, while I brought my brush across the siding, that there was a crack in the foundation just to the left of the new sun porch. When I checked the basement, I discovered its previously perfectly smooth concrete work was splintered and leaking. The patchwork took an afternoon, but my house was ready again for winter. And soon, so was I. Look what I got for you, I said one day, beaming and slightly wincing, as I strode into the now gloomy kitchen. Regina was sorting the mail, and I rolled up my shirt sleeve to reveal the new blood-red heart pin-cushioned into my bicep. Across it, in black, was an arrow. Writing the arrow were the letters R-E-G-I-N-A. That's so sweet, she grinned and kissed me hard on the mouth. I got a two-for-one special, I bragged. We can go back and do you, too. How about if you just come do me now, she coaxed, pulling me backwards into the cold bedroom. Afterwards... She suggested that, while the tattoo was nice, there were other ways in which I could improve. You know, the latest body mod fashion is to go one-armed. <laughs> Might be hard to swing a hammer that way, I laughed, flexing her name so that the G jumped like a heartbeat. You can have it put back on after winter, she said, shaking her chest below me. Her breasts barely rippled. She'd had her breasts resized to hard white shields over the summer at the same time as she had the gene modification to color all her body hair a bronzed orange. I'd barely recognized her in bed that first night. You have to keep reinventing, she explained. Otherwise, well, you wouldn't want to be the same forever, would you? But I thought I was perfect, I joked, biting playfully at the nipple now held so close and hard to her chest. Regina, had an amputee fetish. 
I guess she wasn't that odd. One-armed men were the fashion that year. But I'd never experienced the intensity of the warm, wet explosion of her lust that my first night home sans arm brought. I'd had the left one removed and put in cryo-storage, since my tattoo was on the right. She couldn't get enough of the smooth skin that ran from my shoulder blade around the curve to meet my breast. The ghost image of my arm was troubling. Mentally I kept reaching out to grab things that I couldn't touch, and I found it difficult to maintain my balance. From then on, she was on top. In December, the upstairs bedroom began to leak, but not in a place that I could reach easily. The leak was somewhere hidden behind a wallboard. I knew this because a dark brown circle formed in the ceiling of the living room. Before I can get a friend over to help me fix it, it was fairly useless at such things with only one arm. The whole ceiling gave. Regina was smothering me in bed when it happened, shaking herself in my face and crushing me with a meaty arm across my neck. We both stopped when we heard the noise. A long, slow grinding that escalated from aching moan to neck-snap crack and disintegrating crash. Her eyes blinked, and she pushed off me, stumbling from the bed to the floor, and I lay there, catching my breath for a moment before staggering erect myself. We both shambled into the front room. I could see a rain of molding, rotted wood and wallboard littering the floor in front of the couch, and the joist I'd lain so carefully years before with my two hands was now undone, warped and leaning from ceiling to floor. Regina waddled over beneath the hole to stare up at the dangling tiles from our bathroom. She'd put on a hundred pounds this winter, because weight was suddenly the fashion. The perfect point of her chin now waved hello to itself, and the points of her breasts were lost in the surf of her belly. We rarely made love anymore. I couldn't lie beneath her for long without an arm to protect myself and live. Yet still, I held out hope for us. I remembered the waist and wiggle of that girl in the blue-lit bar. You're really made for each other, my friends still said, though they didn't sound as sure as they once had. I began to suspect that Regina was made and remade for herself alone. You'd make a great one-eyed bandit, she said one night, as I tried to slide between the folds of her second belly to find the hidden entry of her sex. Her flesh sloshed beneath me, hindering my explorations with doughy obstinance. It was then that she pushed me away from her thighs and begged me to give up my eye. Do it for me, baby. You can always put it back if you want later. It wasn't lost on me that her ex had lost both an arm and an eye in a motorcycle accident before their divorce. But I booked the body mod surgery anyway and came home to almost be crushed by her gratitude. It didn't take long before she was bored again. Open it now, she said, thrusting the brilliantly wrapped box into my hand. I had just returned from a walk and hadn't even taken off my jacket. She pulled it off me and led me back to the bedroom. What's the occasion? I laughed and pulled at the velvet ribbon with my teeth. I couldn't very well hold and open it easily with only one arm. Impatiently, she reached out and pulled the lid off herself, digging through the white-covered tissue. She pulled out a flesh-colored, rubbery bag of skin 
and held it up to my face. Try it on, she begged. I could hear the water from the upstairs bathroom dripping in steady splats on the worn carpet of my front room. My will to build seemed to have been lost with my arm and my eye, and so the hole in the ceiling remained. The water had taken the draining steadily through the ceiling onto the floor, and running in a black wet stain to the corner of the front room, through the drywall, into the flower bed near the driveway. The wall was covered with a thin fuzz of mold, totally rotten. It would soon no longer support the French windows I'd installed. I'd fix it, I promise, just as soon as I had my arm put back on. Not yet, she begged, another month or so. I stood still, blinking blearily at her through my one good eye, as she pulled the rubbery mask over my face. My flesh tingled as my new face found its comfort point and settled tightly on my skin. When she was done, there was a dark rim around my field of vision, but I could see her through the hole that settled over my one good eye. It seemed to grip and mold almost perfectly to my face. I could feel its eyebrow raise when I wrinkled my own. What do you think? she asked. It's the latest thing. Custom facials. She leaned back on her elbows and appraised me, orange eyebrows raised like peaks of flame. I responded with an arch of my own. She had removed the weight this week, anticipating spring, and seeing her lounge lavishly supine on the bed was almost like seeing a stranger naked for the first time. I think I look like your ex. I said, noting the wart on the upper right cheek of the swarthy complexion of my new face. I'd seen plenty of pictures of her with him. In some of them, he even had all of his limbs. My stomach lurched. Don't be silly, she cooed, and pulled me from the mirror to the bed with my good arm. You can still walk. She stroked my cheek. It's made from permaskin, the stuff they use on burn victims. If you leave it on for a day or so, it'll fully bond with your skin and actually use your own blood supply to survive. I had this one made just for you. For me, huh? Kiss me, she said, spreading herself wide for me and pursing Cupid bow lips dyed red as plums. A trail of new pocked belly buttons arrowed from her revitalized breasts to her burning bright pubes. Belly buttons, lots of them were to be this summer's fashion statement. I leaned forward, favoring my arm side, and trying to avoid clumsily falling atop her as I pushed my tongue through the stinking latex of my strangely puffy new lips to meet the fruit of her mouth. Her eyes sprang open at my insertion between her moist lips, glittering with the tell-tale sea-green starburst of seduction surgery. They sparkled in the dimmest of light like a prism. I had tried to tell her that she didn't need to seduce me. I'd fallen for her for her. Oh, Ned, she whispered, staring into my mask, forgetting herself as she ran desperate hands from my new facial wart to the empty socket of my eye to my limbless shoulder. I've missed you so. She pressed me into the bed and I cried as she made love to a man I had never met. I cried for a long time when she finally pried the mask of her first husband off my head. That was the year they revealed the sham of Sally regeneration technique, much to the dismay of thousands who'd remove arms, legs, and eyes for fashion. A class action suit helped, but certainly didn't undo the damage. 
I have my arm and eye back again, but the arm hangs like limp rubber, and the eye rolls to the left and sees only shadows, the ghost of truth. I kept the tattoo. I am forever now her creation, and I wear her brand like a symbol, a symbol of selflessness, for I have truly lost myself. I left Regina the house, her modifications had destroyed it just as thoroughly as she had ruined me. But I can't lay all the blame at her feet. She called me perfection, but asked me to change. And I did, without thought, without thinking about what support beams I was breaking inside my bones and my soul. I live now in a small apartment and struggle to find the means to survive. I may never again be ready to build. I was made for her, but she was making another. I was a carpenter, with a full heart and a head of plans. But now my heart is dry, a fluttering, shrapnel-shorn skin. My house lies in ruins, its beams rotten and broke. I was a carpenter, but all of my blueprints have faded. And Regina? She's building a new man now, and lives in his mansion up in the valley, She's had the melaton treatment, her skin gleams like polished brass, and her hair is now truly made of spun gold. She says it's perfect, and he's perfect. <laughs> They're made for each other. But perfection never lasts, <laughs> if it exists at all. That was John Everson's Made for Each Other, as read by Seth Williams. Seth Williams is the avatar for a three-kilometer sentient starship that is parked probably uncomfortably close to the third planet. Surprisingly, he has not yet been discovered. He is very happy that the inhabitants have discovered enough technology so that he can communicate in this limited fashion. Any communications can be directed to www.theboojum.org. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you, Seth. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Our show was produced by our editors, Philip Oldham and Scott Silk, and theme music by David Raiklin. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.